Do you remember the old Fred and Mary sitcom, My Three Sons? Well, I've got my three sons here. Mike <laughs> and Greg, you see, every Sunday, Wesley and his family go to first brought in Kingsport. But like a loving, faithful son, whenever I'm in preaching distance, why well, he loads up his family and comes. Now who could have a greater calm than that? Isaiah chapter 5, verse 25. God's hand is stretched forth still. I said to the man who stood at the gate of the year, Give me life that I may walk into the unknown. But he, answering, said, Put your hand in the hand of God. That is better to you than life and safer than a known way. The hand of God. Michelangelo, painting the Sistine Chapel, portrayed God in his fullness, portrayed man in his fullness, both stretching forth their arms toward the other, and they come just inches apart, almost touching, but not quite. What a dramatic portrayal in that simple image. Whenever we look at that magnificent painting or the reproductions of it, I haven't been able to look up at it as it really is, but I've poured over the picture of it many times. But it's amazing how when you look at that magnificent painting, your eyes go immediately to the two hands that are reaching forth, almost touching. All of history has been an effort to bring those two hands together. The entire Bible is a pilgrimage of humanity trying to reach God's hand and God in turn trying to reach our hand. Just inches apart. The magnificent good news is Jesus Christ brought those two hands together. And in him, they're clasped. There's no longer a breach. God's hand and our hands are now joined because of Christ. Of course, we can't see God's hand, God is spirit. But Jesus said, if you have seen me, you have seen God. The Father and I are one. So when we speak of the hands of Christ, in reality, we're speaking of God's hand. And when we put our hand in, in God's hand, we are holding the hand that held the scroll. The introduction of Christ into the world as God's Messiah came in Nazareth when he came to those he loved more than any. Those with whom he had shared childhood, he had grown up with them. 
15 years had been spent together, and now the moment had come when he went out and was baptized of John, spent his time in the wilderness determining how his life would be spent, he now came to the one place that he wanted to launch his ministry, and he went to the synagogue in Nazareth, and they placed the scroll in his hands, and he read from the scroll. When we hold God's hand, He leads us into the pages of the scroll. Wouldn't it have been marvelous to have heard Jesus read those words, rolling off His tongue, the meaning He felt put into each soul? What a marvelous experience it was for those who sit that day enraptured while he who is a part of all creation read the words that he had put into the hearts of men to be written upon the scroll. We take it so lightly. So few of us read our Bibles with seriousness. And when we count the cost that allowed the Bible to be at our disposal today, those who were burned at the stake because they dared put into words we could read the scripture that had been reserved only for those who could understand the classical languages. The great breakthrough of the Protestant Reformation was to bring the Bible out of the sanctuary and place it into the homes. If we were to be deprived of our Bible, it would be one of the greatest losses that we would ever know. We have at our disposal the wisdom of all ages, the philosophy by which all of us can grow and develop, the truth from God revealed to us. I'm totally convinced that there is no problem in life, no experience that we encounter that is not reflected in the Bible as the way in which we ought to react and the way that we ought to go. It has been a light to the pathway of all who have seriously tried to understand what life is all about. Hide it in your heart. Caesar Stair was a retired corporate executive and he was spending his retirement years in the community that I was serving. He became fast friends. During his middle life, he suffered a nervous breakdown. He lived in Knoxville, and he left and went to New York to try to recuperate before he came back to take over his responsibilities. He chose New York because he wanted to go sit at the feet of Harry Emerson Fosdick. Harry Emerson Fosdick had suffered a nervous breakdown. And out of his experience, he wrote two profound books, one the meaning of prayer and the other the meaning of the Bible. He had been in that wilderness and had come out, and he had portrayed how the Bible had been a part of his reawakening of his being restored to hell. And Caesar Stair went to New York, and he sat at the feet of Harry Emerson Fosley and received counseling from Fosley. But he said, you know the thing that served me most during those dark wilderness years? The Bible verses that I had learned as a boy. 
They came into my memory. And I could recite them. And they spoke to every need I had. There was a verse that came into my mind. He said, I'm not sure that I would ever have restored my health had it not been for the foundation that had been laid in my youth that I could feast upon when I was going through a time of famine. The Bible is so important. And when we put our hand in the hand of God, He leads us into the pages of the Bible upon the scroll the truth as we live by. When we put our hand in the hand of God, we don't leave God. He leads us. And there are many times that we try to leave God. We declare what our intention is and what God's intention for us must be. And so we design our own lives and ask God to follow along and bless everything that we attempt to do. That's the wrong way. God leads us because He knows the needs that we have, the desires of our heart, and He lets us follow Him to the places where we find fulfillment, where we find met all our needs. And when we put our hand in the hand of God, we don't sit still because God doesn't sit still. We follow where He leads. Purpose for that Him tonight. Where he leads me, I will follow. When our hand is in his hand, he leads. We follow. When we put our hand in God's hand, we hold the hand that held the carpenter's tools. God leads us into the carpenter's house. Jesus worked. He was a carpenter. When he revealed himself in Nazareth as the one whom God had sent, they all turned and looked at one another and said, didn't he come out of the carpenter's house? Isn't he the carpenter of our village? Wasn't his father a carpenter? How dare he say that he is God's chosen? Jesus worked with his hands. And I'm sure he worked deftly and creatively. He did the work that he had been assigned as one committed to a task. There's a misconception that has been perpetrated all through history, and that is that when God drove Adam and Eve out of the Garden of Eden, he made them go to work. That was the curse of leaving the garden. Instead of lounging listlessly in paradise, he had to go out into the fields now and labor by the sweat of his brow. Don't you believe that for one minute? It was a blessing. God blesses us. Jesus said, My Father works, and I work. No greater joy comes to anyone than to have a talent, a gift, and an opportunity to use it day after day. To be able to work. And the most unhappy people in the world today are those who lost their jobs and are looking for another one. Life becomes stale when we don't work. When we sit idly. 
and watch everything else go on about us. We are created to work. And the place that we, which we ought to do our work is the place where our talents intersect with the needs of the world. And when we find that place where we have our talents and the needs are there and we bring them together and the problems are solved and the tasks are fulfilled, there's no greater feeling of fulfillment than accomplishment. To come to the end of the day and say, I had a great task and I did it well, and the world's better. Because God created us to work, to do. The fellow who threw the football through the small opening at the Orange Bowl was asked, are you going to give up your job? And he said, no. Nor should he. Nor should any other who suddenly find themselves surrounded by wealth. Because the greatest wealth that we can have is the ability to do a job, the willingness to attack it, and do it well. Wouldn't it be interesting that when we come into God's presence, that instead of inquiring of us how we use the opportunities that we had, how we spent our time to give an account of ourselves, if God were just simply to say, show me your hands. Leslie Weatherhead, who was pastor of City Temple in London, one of the great preachers of British Methodism, served the people of London during World War II. That beautiful church was bombed, but they carried on. His words of inspiration was a part of leading them through this dark day of their time. In his book, he wrote of a church member who had been unable to come to church because her parents had died when she was quite young and it fell her lot to rear her younger brothers and sisters. And she grew up with only the one task to do, meet the needs of her brothers and sisters. And in the course of it, she lost her health. Her strength wasn't equal to the task that she had to fulfill. But she saw it through, and her brothers and sisters grew to adulthood, and then relieved from the task of meeting their needs, suddenly she found that her health was gone. She had only a short time to live. Dr. Weatherford said that a friend came to visit her in her dying room. Chatted her somewhat because she had not gone to church over the years and had said, you ought to do something now to prepare yourself to meet your master because you can't say I attended church every week and I served you in that way. What are you going to say to God if you don't do something now to change your life? And she looked at him with a, with a wide smile and said, I'll just show you my hands. What honor God puts upon those of us who see the task to be done that will live and help the lives of others. And we do. When we put our hands in God's hands, He puts tools and says, Good work. When we put our hand in God's hands, we hold the hand that held the weight. Too much is said of the fact that Jesus was deep and mild. No. He was a man equal to every task. Too many fortunes in history have shown him as a, a sick 
person won and failed. He was a man of power and strength because he was a man who worked in the carpenter shop, knew the work of the fields, walked over the countryside. He lived the life of a man fully equipped to live. And it was shown that day when he became angry because they were desecrating the temple. He loved the temple. It was because they were dishonoring God that his attempt at driving the money changers out of the temple came about. Not because of any personal feeling other than the fact that God was being dishonored. And he drove them out of the temple. He righted the wrong. And when we put our hand in God's hand, he leads us into the prayer. Too often we're timid about standing up to our beliefs. Of trying to make a difference in the world. Of protesting the things that diminish humanity and diminish our fellow brothers and sisters. Look at our spiritual founder, John Wesley. Early in his life, he became aware of the fact that there were many people suffering in the world about him. And while he was at Oxford University, he and other members of the Holy Club would go down into the prisons and they would read the Bible and pray with the prisoners and they would ride on the wagons that took them to their place of execution and held their hands as they went to die. He was so chagrined over the fact that young boys and girls at the time in which they ought to be playing at the time in which they ought to be learning were instead in sweatshops working working as though they were adults taking away all of the energy of childhood and he fought desperately to rid the society of that kind of infant and childhood in slavery and by the great movement of Methodism throughout England such great social ills were healed. He was a Paul that men could enslave other men. He wrote pamphlets, he spoke, he wrote letters against slavery, and he became a part of the great movement to abolish slavery. He was a social activist of the highest and finest sort because social activism was righting the wrongs that had been imposed upon the people, and he was there ready to speak and to do what he could to erase the problems of society. We have problems today. Oh, we have problems today. Terrorism, murder in the streets, drugs. Are we battling to end these great Fields against society? Or are we wistfully watching it happen? I can remember my seminary days when we were charged, don't follow in the wake of the chains of society. Stand on the prow and make the waves. Don't follow in the waves. We ought to be standing in the forefront of change, of the needs for change in society. And let others look upon us and say, there is a great spiritual energy in this church because it has the concern of the people at heart and it is making changes that need to be made in order to make it a better world for everyone. As long as there are inequities in the world, 
and others are suffering because of it, we need to be making the change. Not testing others. Not watching others. We need to lift the whip and drive out those who degrade And when we put our hand in the hand of God, we hold the hand that held the towel. We celebrate God breaking His Son once a month when we come to Holy Communion. The breaking of the body of our Lord, the pouring out of His blood. And it is a high moment. It is the most revered moment in my life when I come to the Lord's table take that that symbolizes His presence. But we never say anything about the water that washed the feet. Before He gave the bread and the wine to the disciples, He took a towel and a basin of water and He washed their feet and He said, as you have seen me do, you must do. I did not come to be served. I came to serve. In my ministry, whenever I serve Holy Communion, I wash feet first. Oh, symbolically, I simply had the basin and the pitcher, and I poured the water, and I reminded everyone that this is what Christ did before. And in that moment of commitment, we washed one another's feet before we knelt to take the body of God. Jesus. I preached a sermon in Gatlinburg once on the title of the calendar of hell. And I said, we need to take the crosses out of our hell and put in its place a towel. The cross is what Christ did for us. It's time we started telling the world what we're doing for Christ. Charles Lane, who was editor of the uh, International Lesson Magnet in Nashville at the time was a member of my church. And two years later, when I was in another church, one of my church members came up and said, Is this you I'm reading about in our Sunday school material? And Dr. Lehman had written about the sermon that I preached, affirming the need to put the towel in our towels. Sir, when we put our hands in the hand of God, He leads us into doing to serve the needs of one another. Inasmuch as you have done it under the least of these, you have done it. Uh, my favorite aunt had a favorite painting, and that was Durer's Praying Hands. You're all familiar with the woodcut of Durer's Praying Hands. In Christ in the Fine Arts, the book compiled of the history of pictures and poems and stories, there's an interpretation of the praying hands. It tells how it came about. Durer was a struggling young artist. He came out of a poor family and had worked with his father to make ends meet for the family until he was approaching adulthood, and finally he had to go out on his own. He loved to paint. He loved to draw. He needed to be trained so that he could 
do something with that gift that God had given him. But his father said, there's no way that I can send you to study. You have to go out and earn your own way to do it. And he was so desperate to hone his skills that he went to a famous artist and got permission to study from him. He had to work in order to get money to pay for the privilege. And he met an older artist who was there studying under the same artist. And they banded together and rented an apartment to live together to share the expenses. And they both went out and worked as much as they could in order to pay their tuition and meet their day-by-day needs. But after a while they discovered it still wasn't enough. And the older of the two said, there's only one way that we can do this. One of us is going to have to work full time and pay so that the other can spend full time in learning his art. I'm the older, he said, and I have a job. Let me work more and pay the expenses. And then when you have finished your studies and you begin to sell your works, then you can pay for me to get my training. And Durer reluctantly agreed to this, but he saw that if he didn't agree, then neither one of them was going to be able to get the training that they needed. And so they began, and Durer set the foot of the artist, and his skills began to develop. He became a master of his art. All the while, his older friend was out working, taking any kind of work that he could, washing dishes, scrubbing floors, anything to bring in some money in order to pay for them cost of his education. And finally the day came when the roles and I would change and the older friend would go and study. It was such an exciting day when the old man brought down his paints and his canvas and he got his brush and he began to move upon the canvas and his fingers were stiff from arthritis. His knuckles were swollen. His fingertips were calloused. He couldn't control the brush. He had given up his skills in order to help his young friend, and he would never be honest. One day, Durer walked to the room where his friend was now kneeling in prayer. And he paused for a moment to watch, and his hands folded in prayer in front of him and caught Durer's hand. And he felt the love that was in those hands. They had given him the mastery of his gift by sacrificing his own. And he sketched the hands and became his best known masterpiece. The hands of a friend who had sacrificed his gift for them. Greater love hath no man than this, and he laid out his life. When we put our hands in God's hands, He puts a power in the other and leads us into the world. And when we put our hand in God's hands, we put our hand into a hand that is scarred by neighbors. This time He doesn't believe us. He stands still. You see, he's already been there. And he did it so we wouldn't have to. His hands became scarred so that our hands would never need to be scarred. 
He died so that we not have to die. And when we hold the hand that is scarred, we hold the hand of one who loved us so much that he took all of our suffering so that we would not suffer at all. God reaching down, we reaching out. The hands are clasped, brought together by the hand that is scarred. And we walk forever in the company. And I said to the man who stood at the gate of the year, Give me life, that I may walk into the unknown. But he answered and said, Put your hand 